Hey there, this is Bobby with the Rock Guys Podcast, and you are listening to Concerts That Made Us, the place where I get my rock fix. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Hey, as you heard at the top of the show, this is Concerts That Made Us. I'm your host, Brian, and let's get into this week's episode. So, as always, rate and review us on iTunes, and be sure to check out our website at www.concertsthatmadeus.com. It's the number one place to stay up to date with everything that is Concerts That Made Us. Now, this week's guest needs absolutely no introduction. It's Eric Ferentinos. So, without further ado... Let's get on with the show.
Hi, Eric. You're very welcome to the show. Hello. It's an absolute honor to have have a musician like yourself here. All right. That makes me happy to hear. I'm happy to be on your show. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, we just heard your your song, You Only Live Twice. Would you like to tell us a bit about it? Uh, right. That's the uh, first track on View to a Thrill, the last Stephen Piercy record uh, that we put out uh, back in 2018. And it's a very James Bond themed album. A lot of tongue in cheek uh, plays on Bond film titles and names. And, and we had a great time uh, making it back in 2018. It's on Frontiers Records and you can check it out on YouTube. Yeah, I know. The first thing I noticed was uh, when I seen the cover for it, I was like, hang on, is this like a soundtrack for a new Bond film? You know, it, uh, it is very tongue in cheek, Bond-esque, but uh, it's great. We would we would love for that because uh, Stephen is a huge Bond fan, always was. Uh, and I've known Stephen since the 80s when I was a teenager. And, and when we uh, if I was ever hanging out at his house, he always had the laser discs. Of like the Bond movies, <laughs> like the real laser disc back then and whatnot, and we'd always have those on. And uh, I think that's always been a dream of his to get a song into a Bond movie. And you know that hasn't happened yet, but he he's just doing his own Bond movie with a beautiful. <laughs> that's a that's a good way to go about it. All right, if you can't get into the official one, just make your own one. That's right. So we just uh, it started rolling out that way. We just went with it and. Uh, God, there's there was one song on there where he, he was like, "Watch how many references I could put into this one, uh, one song <laughs> on here." And I think he had uh, touched on at least like twelve of the movie titles from the Bond movies in there. I just put them <laughs> in the lyrics for the song. Uh, I just thought of a game for the listeners. Actually, listen to the album every time to hear a Bond reference or a Bond title. Drink. <laughs> of course, you have to drink. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, so um. For any of the listeners, I'm sure there's not many that listen to my show that don't know who you are. But would you like to tell them a bit about your history? Okay. Um, well, I'm younger than some of the 80s uh, guys out there. I'm 48. So, uh, you know, my formidable years, I guess, were in my 20s, you know, which, which heavy metal already was kind of slipping away at that point with the, with grunge uh, and what. But uh Around the time I was 27, um, in the early 2000s, uh, Stephen, who I've been friends with, uh, offered me a chance to play in a solo band. And it was, I, I didn't, uh, I couldn't believe he was even asking me that at the time, you know, but because uh, I had just, uh, up until that point, only played in a San Diego local band called Voodoo, which mm -hmm. uh, we were popular here. We had uh, probably sold like 5,000 records just in San Diego, California, where I'm from. We had airplay on the radio stations. I could play a little bit, but I, at that point, I, I, by no means was I um, Warren Martini level, you know, guitarist, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but at any rate, I, I, I decided, you know, what did I, what did I have to lose doing hmm. this? So I, uh, they flew me out to Chicago and I was replacing a guitar player. They had a, a fallen out with and, um the, the rest is history basically I, I remember uh after that first show he was he was laughing because he was he felt like he, he found a unicorn or something you know what i mean he, like i was deep <laughs> i could play and i was there and he didn't miss a gig he's like you know what you can play with me as long as you want to 
it's, <laughs> been, uh, it's been over 20 years now that uh, I've been his uh, lead guitarist. We've had many, many of an adventure and made some great albums. We're going to make some more great albums and uh, we're, we're finally going to get back out and play. Um, but, but mostly I'm known for that, just being Steven's uh, guitarist. I also, um, in 2020, uh, was the guitarist for Bow Wow Wow and did a tour with them, which was in the early 80s. Different different type of music, but mm. uh, that was a lot of fun as well uh, with Lee Gorham to go out and uh, have a great time doing the Bow Wow Wow. We, did, we opened for the motels uh, on a tour here, and then that abruptly ended in uh, March, as we know. So, and here we are today. But uh, yeah, that's that's basically who I am. It would just be uh, mostly known as Stephen Piercy's guitarist. I've heard you described as uh, Stephen's secret weapon, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he's he, he whips me out in an emergency, and uh, <laughs> done, you know, whatever it may be. There's times where we've even had like an assignment where we had to come up with songs like that day. And we've just like taken drums from like one session, pulled them up in there. And he and I can actually like write music to pre-existing drums within a few minutes. You know, it doesn't sound that great. Uh, you know, we just work well together and, and uh, in, in uh, situations, high pressure situations, we make it happen, you know, so I could see in that reference. Yeah. You started off as a, as a fan of his, he moved in across the street from you when you were a kid, didn't he? That's, that's absolutely true. Um, what's kind of funny about that is that at the time that the, there was a house being built across the street where the, the garage looked at the garage for my family's uh, house in Carlsbad. And uh, I actually had a dream that Eddie Van Halen moved in a country. And I was actually super huge, you know, Eddie Van Halen fan, obviously, being a young, young kid, mm. um, as most Americans were. Uh, anyways, I had this dream that I finally got the courage to walk across the street and, and knock on Eddie's door to say hello. And I remember it was one of those, like, never meet your heroes. Cause you'll only be disappointed. Type yeah. of thing. Like I knocked on the door and in my dream, Eddie, like opened the door, like he had been partying all night. <laughs> and it was like, what? The sun was like coming into his eyes. Like, what do you want? <laughs> you know, it was like, uh, Eddie's like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, oh, man. And then it was, uh, so that was just kind of a little humor there. But uh, a few days later, uh, Stephen Piercy moved in across the street. I remember my mom had said to me, this was like in 1987. So they were huge. Rat was really big at this time. This was just like a, another property that Stephen had. He had a house in L.A. and, and uh, Hollywood, hmm. West Hollywood. And then um, he was buying this property down. Uh, in Carlsbad is like a, an investment. Well, I remember my mom said to me, um, Hey, do you know who rat is? I was like, well, of course I know who rat is She's like, well, don't tell anybody, but the singer just moved in across the street. <laughs> I was like, what? And, and at this, uh, this particular time I had just started playing guitar that I was about, you know, about 15 years old. And, um, it was, it was the most exciting thing that could happen. You know, this guy moved into the neighborhood. Um, and I would, I would see him, uh, walking his dogs. I would look through my blinds. Oh, there he is. And I, I had a, a little like fender amplifier, a little practice amplifier, mm. and I would just pick it up and I would stick it in the window and I would take my guitar with the whammy bar and just start <laughs> doing really loud nose dives. I could see him like looking like, where's that coming from? <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, eventually, um, uh, we ended up 
actually becoming friends. I don't think he even realized how young I was, you know, at the time I had long hair. And I think back then, and I think he just thought I was like a, a older teenager or something, mm. but uh, I was actually quite younger. And, you know, we've, we've remained friends ever since he actually produced that band voodoo that I was in. He kind of uh, gave us some uh, inspiration to go with that name and, and uh, was there through the beginning of that he paid for some recordings for us which was cool the first recordings we got on the radio he had actually uh paid for those demos to get done which was really cool of him mm. and i always used his name back then i was like well i know stephen Pearson. <laughs> yeah. uh, just to get whatever i needed um and it's just amazing that you know we've been in each other's lives uh you know over 30 years mm. uh would end up uh playing in his band and and being having a part in his life um also so it's been really fantastic yeah it's a it's a crazy story it's not something you'd actually expect to be a true story you know you expect it to be a <laughs> ne- the next summer movie or something you know like karate kid or you know when someone comes over mentors a kid and you know he obviously brought you up to to join the band and everything like that it's a well, I guess it's destiny, right? Exactly. Some, exactly. Some people don't believe in it. I do. Yeah. Well, you have to at this stage. So um, we'll move on to your uh, your concerts and your musical influences. What would be the earliest musical memory you have? The earliest, uh, the earliest musical memory of of hearing, remembering hearing music, uh, probably still in a car seat, you know, the back of my parents' VW Bug. Uh, and hearing uh, rock, that song Rock the Boat. Oh, yeah. From this, you remember that? <laughs> yeah. Rock the boat, rock the boat. <laughs> don't tip the boat over. <laughs> uh, I remember that being on and just thinking how cool music that music was, you know, just sitting, just rocking in my little car seat. And that was my first, like, you know, memory of hearing music. But uh, my, my mom loved music and she had some great influences from rock to disco that, that she was always blaring in the house um whether it was Jimi hendrix or the saturday night fever soundtrack (laughs) (laughs) the doors um you know plus she she played classical piano so she would always be uh pounding out some brooding classical moonlight sonata or whatever in the house (laughs) she was uh in a mood so those were just you know around the house uh memories and then um yeah, I'll let you go from there. I don't want to skip ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. You uh, you definitely had good foundation for a, a good musical musical taste growing up. Anyway, yeah, they tried. I mean, it, I'm glad I had that. The Rolling Stones. I want to mention we were my parents were more Stones uh, fans than say the Beatles because it was usually one or the other. Yeah, yeah, for the baby boomers. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no, I, I do know what good music is. I mean, I, I of course, in my angsty teens, um, Metallica was our band. Really? You know, for the zit-faced teenagers, American <laughs> teenagers that smoke cigarettes. Uh, yeah, but I ended up getting into thrash. Mm. Uh, but the, around the time the Headbangers Ball uh, came out, that was a very influential with, with MTV and... and um, I loved that show. I would, uh, I would tape like a lot of kids. We had VCRs and we would um, tape the show and just watch the videos, all the metal videos, just pull out the commercials or whatever, or just have like sours on a video cassette of, of metal. Uh, 
So I, I do have a um, a wide, you know, variety of of influences, and I think that's good because it helped me to be versatile, mm. you know, as a guitar player. I could I could probably play anything from disco to Metallica. Yeah, for that reason. Um, yeah, so it's all fun, man. Exactly, exactly. The uh, the first album or single you ever purchased? I want to say <laughs> that we were in a the shop the uh, store was called a Woolworths I think back then I was about eight years old and I saw a display with all the Kiss solo records right so it had like a, a just a, a, a record store type display in this drugstore that had you know Gene Simmons Ace Fraley Peter Chris mm. Paul Stanley they had each done a solo album and they were really popular iconic people at this time Gene Simmons to me was one of the most frightening <laughs> things a kid could have to look at next to the incredible hulk or you know whatever gary monsters from the 70s but uh he was way too scary for me ace Frehley was a little spaced out uh (laughs) paul stanley i didn't understand the lipstick thing but he had he had something weird going on i didn't even know what what it was uh and and peter chris seemed to be like the least likely to hurt me you know yeah and i like cats i like cats i'm like uh i want that one i want the peter chris. i remember i took got the peter chris record and i went home and i put it on and it it was terrible <laughs> this was like the worst wreck i was actually mad about it as i was like eight and i was like god damn it <laughs> you know it was like just i didn't i couldn't even understand comprehend what i was listening to it wasn't heavy metal it wasn't you know yeah. whatever um but yeah from um from my young teenage years then i would i would uh i probably bought all the van halen records first um i did remember buying the docking records mostly the docking records because of george litch because i i loved him as a guitar and so i remember buying all his records uh, let's see the metallica's oh yeah metallica i remember i bought all those records were expensive for us back then you know what i mean it was like 15 bucks you know to buy a record and um I wasn't making that much money. I mean, as a young teenager, I didn't have a job till I was 15. So, and at that point I was uh, saving up for a guitar. So I didn't get to, it's not like the kids today where they can spend $10 a month and have all the music that ever existed. Like, how's that fair? It's not fair to me as an artist that that wants to get paid. I'll tell you that, but uh, it's good for them, I guess. I don't know. How do you feel about it? It's strange the way it's flip-flopped. You know, from a customer's a customer's point of view, it's obviously heaven. But from a musician's point of view who's trying to make money from their music, it's it must be a nightmare. I think they um, you know, not not to begin into conspiracies, but I'm pretty sure that the business from its inception was set up not to allow many people to get big because uh with with fame you have more power and influence. And these things so it's kind of set up that you'll always be a starving musician there's of course maybe a hundred people that it's not that way for the other hundred billion of us it is <laughs> yeah 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 i suppose though if it was too easy there probably wouldn't be as much joy in it right i mean you don't it's true in the sense that if you're if you are doing it for the money you're going to be really disappointed you know, I love the I love to uh, travel and and play the concerts and um, you know obviously that's the fun and uh, writing albums and music. You know, I, I, that's something I have to do. I have to uh, create 
music, you know, that's, that makes me happy. And so I would do that uh, whether I was paid or not, mm. but I would like to see some reform uh, in that arena. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just give us a taste, man. <laughs> oh, get out of this apartment. Come on. Yeah. Hopefully. I don't know though. I think it'll always be in favor of the big, the big uh, record labels and, you know, the guys in the offices. Yeah, that's it's it's interesting to see where that goes. I mean, because we do have an amazing ability, you know, with with um, no matter what bad they throw our way, there's good that comes our way too. to where, you know, I remember as as uh, recently as like uh, 2007 spending like ten thousand dollars to go make some demos in a studio where today it cost me zero dollars. You know, I mean, I. <laughs> I just upgraded a new Mac uh, computer, so that was a little bit of an investment there. But as far as the recordings that I do here, that I write all the music for, it cost me nothing, and I could do that to my heart's content. Uh, and and that's not a uh, luxury that we we had uh, not too long ago. So I'm embracing that. I mean, a lot of the new technology is really awesome. Um, another bummer about being a broke musician is you can't um, afford good equipment you can't have all the good amps you know you can have one amp and you have to make it work or you got one uh and now they're making these amazing things i have this i don't want to pull it up here but uh line six makes this hx stomp it's this little pedal yeah yay bit that thing has you can put every amplifier that ever existed onto there like they actually were able to digitally scan all the parameters of that famous amp and give you the ability to use it and you our ears really can't tell the difference you know and it's yeah it's the 500 piece of equipment that has about you know a million dollars worth of potential amp <laughs> effects in it and i can like you know we're, we're actually going to start playing again here uh very soon and i'll be able to you know fly out with this with a carry-on bag and my guitar and sound like a monster <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy when you think of it like that compared to years ago and how much uh, space it would take up to ship equipment that's right now we can take all the speakers out and just put dummy stuff up there and have this thing going <laughs> <laughs> i still use apps actually this thing i actually will like run it into the clean channel of an amp so i still i because i do enjoy having the throw like we're old school rock like that we like having the walls of amps up there like yeah that. so i'll still run this through so it's coming in hot off the stage but if there was a problem you know where the amp blew up which that's happened to me um you could actually go right into the pa system with this oh which is fantastic so the show will go on my friend <laughs> no matter what happens that's the main thing speaking of shows going on we'll uh we'll get to the very first concert you've ever played oh yes um the very first concert i ever played which i believe was in 1990 i was 17 years old it was at a um now defunct venue in san diego called the bacchanal which we used to call it the butt canal <laughs> but it's uh the bacchanal and i my first gig was opening up are you familiar with the the singer ron keel yeah from the band keel an american band um he had a he had an all-girl band um at the time called fair game and uh this was exciting because I, I didn't really know much about him but we were going to be opening up for ron kate keel's fair game which was basically him and 
these pretty rocking girls that he had. And, uh, and it was awesome because it was a, it was a pivotal gig for me, just in the sense that I didn't even know if I could play in front of people. I knew I really wanted to, of course. Uh, and I had fun at rehearsal, but I didn't know if I would freeze up, you know, in front of people. So this was going to be the gig that decided that. Oh, (laughs) and I, I remember it very well. I remember, um, I remember, you know how you know a venue will have music playing in the background of uh, yeah. the PA system before the band starts, and, and we were going to be playing soon. And that I think ACDC's "The Razor's Edge" was out at the time, and that song "Razor's Edge," yeah, kind of ominous song by ACDC. And I remember that was on in the background, and uh, and it was a pretty packed show. Surprisingly, I remember seeing those uh, fair game girls all doing shots backstage. I was. But mind you, at this time, I was not even old enough to be in the clubs. So <laughs> right. I had to wait. I had to wait outside. So when I say that I was like, that's what I remember being brought in from outside was that ACDC song on. I remember seeing those girls drinking backstage. And then I just went straight to the stage. It was it, it continued to be that way for the next five years. Jeez. So playing as a San Diego musician, I was never old enough to play any of those places hmm. uh 21 actually what am i saying five years no it was more like three years right <laughs> <laughs> three years it felt like five years uh no it was three years and then i was 21 um you know continued to play and then uh yeah so there was it was a it was a good night uh doing that and from from then on it was settled i was going to do this for life hmm. <laughs> <laughs> It must have been pretty nerve-wracking though, taking them first few steps up or even the waiting outside to be to be allowed in to play the gig. You remember the song Jukebox Hero? Yeah. That's my life. <laughs> I was waiting in the rain with my head hung low. <laughs> you couldn't get a ticket because it was a sold-out show. <laughs> Jeez, it's crazy because over here, you know, if you're underage, you're not allowed in even if you are the band. You know, they just won't book the band if there's anyone underage in it. Now, oh, I, that's not cool. I know, yeah, but it is 18 over here instead of 21. So it's a little bit better. That is kind of cool. 18, being able to go drink in a pub. That's yeah, actually, that would that would be way too dangerous here. We're too irresponsible <laughs> for that. Uh, it's pretty dangerous here as well. Hollywood, California, uh, always kind of found a way to make that work. Like they, uh, I remember being under 21 but still able to get into the whiskey a go-go oh if you were at least looked 18 you could kind of get in there <laughs> at the time i actually uh saw rat at the whiskey when i was still in high school i remember i was writing for the school paper or something i go oh, i'll do a little article for it you know that uh when I, and i knew steven at the time he was supposed to get me in but he but he had uh you know, it was a hometown show. He was busy. And I think he forgot about that anyway. So I wasn't on the list, but I had managed to like BS my way to the ticket booth and tell him I was with some publication, you know, as a writer or whatever. And, yeah. Uh, ended up getting in there, but that was uh, actually a really cool show. And you can, you can go on YouTube and watch this concert that I was at. It's a uh, rat in like 1990, I think. And it's at the whiskey, a go-go all the original guys, Robin Crosby, uh, is there and they're just playing the small whiskey i was i was at that show i was like just a just a teenager there um and that was loud that was a loud show the whiskey though it's always uh 
it's always stood out to me. It's like a, this legendary place. If I ever get to LA, that's the first place. The first night I'm there, I don't care who's playing. I want to go to the whiskey. It's just, and you should, yeah. and you will. Yeah, you exactly. Will exactly. Ever since I think, uh, I was big into the doors when I was younger and I remember reading loads of books on them, seeing the doors movie. And I seen them, you know, that part where they're playing the whiskey. I was like, yeah, that's it for me. I want to go there. I love that you appreciate that. And what a great segue to Robbie Krieger from the doors, the the legendary guitarist. Yeah. Who, you know, I'm so, that's one of the proudest things I, I, I was ever, I ever did was a song that he played on. Oh, uh, it was amazing. And he did this. It, this wasn't like a paid studio, uh, you know, paying a famous person to play on your family. I mean, he did this for free. He had uh, met Stephen at a at a friend's party. And I'm sure he knew Stephen was and everything. But uh, at the time, we were about ready to do a record. And, and Stephen's like, you know, hey, you know, would you want to play on it? And he was he just kind of turned and just went, yeah. Why not? Oh man! And uh, it was just like that. I mean, he did, he uh, has his own. Uh, Robbie has his own home studio, mm. and so he basically was able to dub all. He played slide guitar through the whole song "Not Killing Me" that you that I think we're gonna play for everybody. Yeah. Uh, today, so all all the slide guitar that you hear is Robbie, just pretty much doing a one take from top to bottom. Gee. And. Uh, we just kind of pulled them out and put them, put them in and it worked, you know, and it's just, uh, it's just super cool that that's, I mean, cause that's forever, you know? Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Uh, super proud of that. That must've been a, a real pinch me moment, you know? It, it was, and it just, um, it reaffirms that you're going in the right direction mm. when these awesome things keep bringing you back instead of just having, you know, doors shut, speaking of doors, right? Now, <laughs> uh, doors can also shut in your face. Uh, you know, and when when doors are opening like that, and uh, you know, artists that you've loved your whole life, you're 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 sharing the stage with them, or perform, or they're playing on your stuff. It's it is pretty incredible. It just reaffirms that you made the right decision. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Perfect time to listen to that song now. So, turn it up.
Oh man, I seriously can't believe that you you have Robbie Krieger playing on that song. It is incredible. Very, very proud. Uh, very proud of that. As is Stephen, of course. Stephen's obviously an older than me, so even a, probably a bigger uh, Doors fan. So it's incredible. A living legend playing on the music. It's yeah. just hard to believe. Yeah, it must be uh, one of them times when you think it just doesn't get any better than this. That's right. I'm sure. But you know what? With uh, When you're on um, Stephen's train, you know, anything can happen. It's a crazy train. I figured that out pretty quick, just even playing in his solo band where, you know, legendary people would get up on stage when I was there. And it was like, uh, I remember Kid Rock coming up in Michigan when um, he was like part owner in a venue out there that we played. And uh, he came up on stage and did a song with us. I remember um, Dimebag Daryl from Pantera, who's not even with us, sadly, uh, a legendary guitarist uh, coming up on stage. I actually have a picture somewhere of that. I'll have to get to you uh where he's just up uh, kind of singing along with me on the mic i'm actually playing guitar and he's not which was funny because he, you know, he he slays me on guitar you know so it's, it's ironic that i would have the guitar but uh but anyways he's him and uh his, his brother uh were huge 80s rock fans and if, if ever you're playing in texas it was a good chance that uh they would be at your show probably if there was a rock show in town those guys were always there they they, they were huge fans as well so that wasn't a surprise that Dimebag came but i'm glad uh that was a really crazy night and i'm glad i got to meet him and he came on the bus with his friends and we had a we, we had a tour bus then and i have pictures from that as well I remember one of his friends was had like a, a prosthetic leg. Right. And I have pictures where like everybody's passing this leg around. But uh, yeah, uh, you never know. I, I would not be at all surprised if uh, some more uh, fantastic encounters with, with legends are in the future. Because Steven's a legend, let's face it. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is. He's a legend in his own right. Definitely. A question just popped into my head, actually, talking, speaking of uh, Dimebag. When guys like that come to see you play, the level you're at now, do you still get nervous or are you kind of cool with it? I totally get nervous about that. I had, uh, well, earlier I had mentioned George Lynch. I said I had used to buy the Dawkin records and there was a private event I, I did a few years back and uh, George or Lynch Mob was playing at it. And this was a scenario where like, you know, a wealthy individual had a big property hmm. and actually constructed a concert stage in their backyard famous bands to come in and, and play it and uh and then, so i have obviously this situation i knew he was there because i saw him walking around and, and it was like i i think i had i actually had met him before but i knew today he was had no choice but to hear me play <laughs> uh because that everybody was outside of this place so anyway that was nerve-wracking i i not to sound whatever but uh you know i typically will rise to the occasion and overcome my fear and actually once i get out there i'll do whatever i have to do mm. but uh what was awesome uh, and by the way uh, scott coogan who some will know play, has played with george lynch uh he's the he's the drummer currently for la guns and he also plays in the piercy band uh as well scott was was there that day as well that'll play into the story but scott and i think we're having actually some kind of little argument we're, we're totally bros now but i remember that day we had a little falling out or something and uh at the point that, that we were, we were all hanging out in the kitchen at this guy's house later and, and George was leaving and he, and he came up to me and he goes, Hey, you, 
you're a great guitar player, no matter what Scott Coogan says. <laughs> like I, I was still, I mean, it was like kind of backhanded, but like funny at the same time. Um, but uh, that was actually a pretty awesome moment that I, I will also uh, cherish. Yeah. He's one hero that it's safe to me. He's actually a super cool guy, George Lynch. Mm. Yeah. It's, um, we'll, uh, we'll get on to the last concert you've played then. Did you know it was going to be the last one? No, I, I, I had no idea, to be honest. It was um, it was on the Bow Wow Wow tour with the Motels. And we were uh, playing, I believe, San Antonio, Texas. And we were about to do the last uh, few shows in uh, Southern California. And we were listening because we were hearing that the bigger venues were starting to closed down like they were throwing these numbers out as like well if it's under a thousand people it's okay uh okay that's not good if it's under 500 they were like eek that was that was you know the shows we were doing at the motels were probably around that you know thousand people things uh house of blues type uh venues but i remember we were mad because none of us were really you know in the high risk group uh, and plus mind you uh we had already all been sick like i actually had gotten sick with this likely um in december of 2019 and even though none of the symptoms were really that bad i had like a uh swollen glands that were pretty bad and a bat and a sore throat that was very it just seemed to last for like a month you know and a little bit of a cough and whatnot uh our bass player got very ill i managed you know to finally when we had some time off recuperate uh or whatever um, but I'm pretty sure looking back that, you know, this was during that peak time of people getting ill. So I'm sure that's, it probably was COVID. I never got tested uh, for it. I haven't been sick since, but I remember even then it was certainly an illness I've had encountered before. It wasn't like, Oh my God, something's wrong with me. And I've never felt this way. It was like, it was just a typical cold. So I certainly wasn't like, we need to stop the world right now. You know what I mean? I was like, no, I wanted to play. I was definitely super bummed out that that was going to be it. I mean, I think the only comfort I had was that I knew we were all going through this, Mm. that, you know, this wasn't just something happening to me uh, personally. So at least we shared in that. And I guess here in the United States, we were fortunate that um, they decided to include independent contractors for their unemployment platform. So um, at least we, were given um, enough money to like, if you, if you were frugal like me and just had an apartment and whatever, you're pretty much okay. I don't want to speak for like people that have, you know, higher costs of their lifestyle. You know what I mean? That I'm sure were very much uh, affected worse than I, you know what I mean? But I was like, I'm I'm happy to say that I was at least taken care of enough to get to this point uh, where we are now. And I'm, I'm also super stoked that we're finally playing shows again. Like I actually on my Facebook started posting some flyers of these like festivals we're playing. We're going to play rock Lahoma. We're doing, I don't know if you're familiar with some of these American festivals, but, um, but anyways, it, it brings a tear to your eye. You know, I can't believe it. Here we are. We're through the, the storm. You know what I mean? We're going to play again. Yeah. It must actually be like Christmas morning. <laughs> it's totally like that. I mean, I, I can't sleep. <laughs> I can't sleep. I'm so excited. My sleep. I'm getting like three hours sleep at night right now. I just can't wait to get back out. Steven and I are going to, uh, we're doing a private event this coming Friday and that'll be 
the first time I'm playing in front of people. And I'm excited because it's with some other great players too. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this uh, guitarist singer, Blando, who's uh, the guitarist for Slaughter. And he also plays for Vince Neil. Oh. And uh, Dana Strum. And Dana Strum is, uh, he was in the Vinnie Vincent invasion and Slaughter and, and uh, these bands. So he's another iconic uh, guy. So uh, they're, there, Will, who who I remember playing in Lynch Mob when I saw told that George story, is a fantastic drummer, and they have some kind of show going on there at this event. As Stephen and I are going to go and uh, sit in five songs with them, and this will be the first for Stephen. It'll be probably a, a year and a half since he's played in front of pe- people. Oh, so he's excited. We we did um, do a live stream from the Whiskey mm. a go go about two months ago. And that was our first time getting together, obviously, in a long time. And, and uh, that was a little nerve wracking because th- these live streams don't have anybody there. You know what I mean? You're just playing. It's it's like you're in a local band again and nobody's at the show. Uh, you're supposed to look like you're having a great time. And like, I have to feed off the crowd. So I, I was a little uncomfortable uh, doing that. But considering that we hadn't played together and we had a new bassist, uh, Jerry from the band Hell Yeah is... Uh, montano is playing uh bass with us now it was his first gig so we uh dust uh, kicked the cobwebs off the band but uh, i thought we did good considering that and um you know it'll be fantastic to play in front of a big audience as again like we had planned right now yeah i can imagine i've heard a lot of musicians actually say about the live streams that just what you said it's you need the live audience to feed off their energy and it's like a give and take when you're on stage you're giving the audience en- energy and they're giving it back to you. So the live streams are near impossible, you know, and you can't see anyone's reaction as well. It's almost like just a practice session. That's right. And, and you feel like a poser when you're like, what am I supposed to do? Start pointing into empty space. Hey, woo! <laughs> Actually, Stephen did that pretty good. He did some funny, like, uh, one-liners. Like, hey, you, on their couch. You know, it's like he started trying to, like, yeah. talk to people in their home. He started to feel a little more comfortable towards the end. He's, he's always good for saying a few funny things. Uh, <laughs> there uh, we may do something else like that but i hope the next time we do it does have at least a small audience in there mm. um but i i can't believe it just that you know some new data if you will or information has come up to where they're just opening things up now and uh the shows are on the books and you know screw the live streams man we're gonna play for real yeah exactly the way it should be yep yep so uh this will bring us to the uh the worst experience you've ever had playing a concert if there is one um yeah yeah the worst um yeah there's 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 probably many <laughs> many to choose from i mean i think the more shows you play the more chances you have of something bad you know happening i mean now whether it's the venue's fault or the band's fault is something totally different and you know the most common is probably actual technical issues where like you can't play because the pa system blew up mm. you know or something like that yeah then there's a the situation where your guitar took a shit or the amp blew up uh and then there's the situations where you know you partied a little too much you know and that there's those situations so there's different different um allocated bad shows that <laughs> happened to me you know one that comes to mind was like when i think i was first it was in the first years of playing with uh Steven and we were we I remember we were on the bus and the shows were, were pretty well packed. We were playing Texas 
and they're pretty crazy at Texas. Uh, and we were all pretty burnt out at this point. We all had, I think, too much to drink. Uh, but if it's it kicked off where one of the dopey roadie guys we had accidentally like tripped over one of like the main cables that like supplies power to the whole fucking place. You know, like of all he had glasses and stuff of all the things he could trip over. Yeah, because we've had an array of terrible uh, road crew. We don't, we don't even normally travel with any anymore. But uh, anyways, the guy totally unplugged the whole show. So that was kind of setting the tone <laughs> for what, what starts happening. Uh, and then when we finally did get it back on, I, I remember Steven was like way past, you know, buzzed on there. And uh, I was really buzzed too. Cause I, I just remember laughing up there, but people were actually like throwing drinks at us. I don't know if you ever had the pleasure of having someone three feet away from you, huck a drink in your face when you're playing a song. But uh, <laughs> I remember that was happening. I remember Steven going, uh, stop throwing drinks at me. I'm going to leave, you know, <laughs> I like marked that up as a bad, uh, that was definitely a bad show. But I think for every like time that there's something bad like that, that happens, there's, there's been a hundred kick-ass times where, where, you know, we leave the stage, like, you know, warriors high five and, yeah. you know, yeah. they were like, hell yeah, great kid, good kid, man. <laughs> you know, that's usually how it goes, but uh, I'd be lying if I said we didn't have some bad <laughs> One thing I've actually always wondered is when you leave the stage like a warrior, as you said, after an amazing show, how do you wind down? Because the adrenaline and everything, I feel like you wouldn't sleep for days. Yeah, we we don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it's a flyout show, I, I go, you know what? I'm just going to stay up. man. <laughs> and I end up falling asleep like 10 minutes before my alarm goes off. And I go, I feel like total hammered crap, you know, as I'm going through the airport. But uh, no, we usually, uh, Frankie from Arcade and, um, and whatnot, he's, he's played with the solo band for a long time. And, you know, he and I are known for like, meeting up after the show and you know figuring out whose hotel room the the after party will be in and we you know we'll invite some friends and just drink all night and laugh and, and have fun and yeah i'd say like typically you know if you're a rock star you're not supposed to go to bed before like 6 a.m i'm pretty sure you know? well if you're a proper the morning. <laughs> this will bring us nicely on to the best experience then playing a gig well I mean, there's, there's, it's hard to pick the best one. And for me, like, I'm always looking for the next best one, kind of like a junkie, <laughs> needing a good gig fix. Um, but uh, one of the coolest uh, gigs that we, we had did was in um, the state of Pennsylvania. It was a, a festival, an annual festival they do there called Roar on the Shore. And um, this is where they like shut down the city the downtown city there and it's just a, a massive stage on their main street downtown and then it, they just the whole city shows up there and uh i i really didn't you know before we played the gig i it didn't occur to me how big this show was mm. and um to me it was just like another gig uh but i was drive we were driving up to it and they they take you in a vehicle from where the streets were actually shut off so I was actually thinking to myself, man, uh, it looks like nobody's going to be at this thing today. <laughs> it looks like this is dead. This is, this is lame. And uh, as we get up there, I'm not hearing anything. I don't, I don't hear anything. I don't see anybody. And I go, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to go look at the stage and see what they got for us, you know, equipment wise. Mm. And I take a step on the stage 
there was 43,000 people. Oh man. <laughs> I have a picture of that on my Facebook uh, where it's, it's like somebody took a photo where they're behind me and you just see, it's like, it looks like about 10 city blocks of just people. <laughs> it's just a people. And I was like, Holy shit. I should have changed my strings for this one. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, anyways, uh, I, I remember just, you know, playing that show. And it was definitely at that point, probably the biggest uh, crowd wise gig, uh, you know, I had ever done. So that was a, uh, that was a big pleasant surprise that day to, to do. And a, a good, definitely a fond memory. And we did well. We actually, we, it wasn't even us that was supposed to initially headline that it was supposed to be um, Tom Kiefer oh. of Cinderella and something had happened. Uh, his voice was having some trouble. And, they, and so we had kind of came in and saved the day in a sense, but uh the crowd was, I mean, those kind of events that the city does, it's not necessarily that everybody's there for you as much as they're there for the festival itself, you know, but luckily Rat has so many hit songs that we definitely were able to please everybody. They they knew uh, the songs were playing. show went great. That sounds like one of the ultimate gigs, you know, to close down a whole city for a gig. Right. Oh, I love that. We did that. There was one other time that we did that, but I, I'm not, I don't think it was quite, you know, the, uh, the amount of attendance uh, as that, but it was in North Carolina. They, North Carolina, they're, they're a big racing town. And uh, I remember they shut down um, uh, their downtown, one of the downtown cities there. We played with Joan Jett. And I remember that was uh, one of the bigger events. I used to be really uh, nervous about doing anything outside because really? it's like out yeah, outside gigs, like, because I used to play pretty much like uh, just real straight through, you know, I pretty much just plug into the amp and and it was very dry. You know, it was, it was definitely going off the gain of the amp and so forth, kind of more of a classic rock kind of vibe. I didn't have a lot of effects to help with that. And I think through the years as I, you know, my experience of playing with Steven and whatever, I've done little tweaks to my setup you know what i mean so so now it actually doesn't matter if i'm outside or not i can make it sound like i'm in in, in a reverberating you know pushing the right buttons and, and whatnot but back then i remember that was always nerve-wracking to do a festival or something outside but now i'm like i can't wait i'm i'm super excited to do some of these that were i think the first one we're doing is is freedom fest uh which is at the end of this month and it's a uh, in aurora colorado yeah, so that should be that's that'll be the first festival we do. But I know that we're doing Rocklahoma as well as a few other things this summer. So it's on. We're coming for you <laughs> in more ways than one. Now. <laughs> oh, that's great to hear. Just even that live music is coming back. You know, it's. Uh, I can't believe it. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Now, what about in Ireland? As I know that um, there was restrictions. I was hearing there now. They instilled like vaccine passports there. Is that true? Yeah, they're uh, they're talking about it. There's been no live gigs at all yet. The pubs are back open next week and they'll see how it goes. There's no live music allowed in pubs. So there's no concerts or anything yet. The um, I think the end of September, the start of October is the first big concert that's been announced. But right. a lot of people are a bit wary about buying tickets because, you know, it might be postponed. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, everybody needs to make their own 
medical decisions and research, of course. Mm-hmm. But I mean, my own personal opinion, I'd love to see Ireland push back on that because I, I don't agree. First, I personally, you know, not to reflect Stephen Piercy band, just me personally, I don't agree with that. I feel that it's, you know, medical tyranny, really. And uh, these vaccines are not nearly as safe as they'd like you to think. And I think eventually people will uh, see the, the truth about the injuries involved with that and the, and the risks that you're actually taking. And I've, I've had the illness and it's not that bad. I mean, granted, if you're 90 something years old, you, you know, anything could be a threat to you. Uh, but it's easier for those type of people that are retired already, you know what I mean, to stay secluded. Exactly. Then people that are young have no risk of something happening and shutting their life down because the ramifications of that are so much worse than the disease, you know, suicide, mm-hmm. um, losing your livelihood as, as the whole music industry has. It's it's bollocks, you know, really. Yeah, it really is. Really is. And, uh, you know, I I've been saying as well to family and friends, look 10 years down the line and see how many court cases there will be about side effects or how, you know, babies were born with, you know, with illnesses or stuff like that because of these. How could they know? How could they know? It just, they just got these, and, and you know, I'll tell you, it, it's, it's a weird thing because you get, you know, people like me that try to like, help out our brothers and sisters and, and give them the, the information that they're not being told mm-hmm. is uh, give them some actually more accurate information. And it really, they don't want to hear it. They're very indoctrinated and um, make accusations. Oh, you're watching too much YouTube, you know? And it's like, well, hold on a second. I'm pretty sure every university has YouTube, you know, courses on there. I mean, YouTube has some good things also. I mean, Sadly, they censor, you know, a lot of truth on there. So you probably won't see it at all. But certainly if you're if uh, you're, you're careful and you, you research on there, you can find some good, uh, good information. Uh, but anyways, my, my family has, has all had their shots here. And that scares me, you know, to death, uh, you know, for my young teenage nieces that, that were going to college. And they're saying, hey you can't come to our, you know, UC college here unless you have this. And I, I can't believe they would, they would do something like that, but, but they did. And, you know, so my family, I felt like they didn't really have a choice and um, they, they all did this. They were scared and they, they did it. I was, I think I'm the only one in my family that did not, you know, nor will I ever, you know, but, um, but it's, but now there's some vindication, you know, now that that's some of this new information's out, I feel vindicated, but at the same time, I'm very, uh, scared for my family you know mm-hmm. i hope nothing happens to them down the road you know yeah but i did i did at least try to talk to them but they, they you know so i it's not that i never said anything to them but they just kind of looked at me like the crazy uncle <laughs> you know black sheep in the family and i, I think they, they just dismissed what i had to say but i think they're seeing now that there's some uh validity to what i was telling them yeah yeah oh, a lot of stuff will come out now over the coming months and coming years that'll be interesting i know we don't even have to jeopardize your show talking about that because it's out yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um we've we've covered the concerts we'll get slightly more personal now for the last couple of questions okay sounds good if you could see any performer from history in concert, who would it be? I, the first guy that popped into my head was Jimi Hendrix for some reason. Right. Okay. Makes sense. I can't explain the why I, I, I want to. I don't know. I think it would just, I mean, 
he died before I was born, mm. you know, I think I just always, I missed the chance to ever see him. So I don't know, he sticks in my head for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's understandable as well, because you're a guitarist. Obviously it's the, the first one that's probably going to pop into your head. Right. I, I've seen Van Halen. I've seen some of the others, but I don't know, for some reason, when you ask me that question, Jimmy Hendrix popped into my head. So I'm sticking with that one. I have to ask actually, um, as a guitarist, how do you feel about Rory Gallagher? Um, I'm not as familiar with his work. Is that an influence of yours? No, not really. It's just, um, he's, uh, he's Irish and he'd be heralded as one of the greatest guitar players ever. I've certainly heard of him and I, I, I should look more into him, but like I'll tell him, go, man, what did he, what have I heard from him? I'm trying to think of it right now. It really is a demographic. Mm. situation like in in the states he didn't get as much attention here yeah i've had i've had those conversations before with people on uh on the show wondering why he isn't more well known because i think it could be an urban legend now but i think Jimi hendrix was asked one time what it's like to be the best guitar player ever and he said i don't know ask rory gallagher but you know yourself whether or not it's true now is another thing and eddie van halen said that about Alan Holdsworth, I believe, you know what I mean? He, he, Eddie, Eddie Van Halen thinks that Alan Holdsworth was really great. I didn't really know Alan Holdsworth was I actually met him once at uh, a San Diego music awards before he passed away. I was, I was just talking, he was a really great person just as a human being, you know, uh, I think we're just having, just having a cigarette out, out at this as awards. I'm like talking to Alan Holdsworth. I didn't even realize I was talking to a living, living legend because I was kind of an ignorant teenager you know, <laughs> at the time. Like I said, I was in my metal phase probably back then. It didn't occur to me. But uh, when I'm watching him now, these videos, I'm like, oh, my God. But again, these are guys that uh, that play on a level that I never would be able to play on. I think that's why people like Slash and, and Kirk Hammett and, and Zach Wilde, these people are, are so much more famous because they play music that kids could actually play on their guitar. You know what I mean? That might have something to do with it. Yeah. Why, yeah. why such less lesser talented people have so much more notoriety than the truly uh, talented people? Because I think no one will ever be able to play that those guys' stuff. So they, it becomes a niche market. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way of looking at it. I've never thought of it like that, actually. And if you think about it, the young guys that are picking up guitars, getting into learning guitars, when you look at Jimi Hendrix guys like that and how technical it would be to get to their level, you could see that they would get frustrated and prefer to go back to the other guys who are easier to learn, you know? Absolutely. So, um, you know, it was almost Metallica's fault for making me think that I could uh, be a rock star or something like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I was thinking to myself, hey, man, I'm 15. I can play Master of Puppets. The world is mine. <laughs> you know, when uh, that wasn't really, you know, accurate. Mm. Uh, I still had, I know I, I don't want to downplay myself. I was, I was pretty good. I was probably above average, but I, I wasn't like a prodigy kid. Like, I mean, when I watch YouTube, I have to admit, I'm very jealous when I see like young children that are way better than me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and they're, they're, they're in their single digits, you know what I mean? And they're playing songs that I don't think I would try to learn you know what i mean yeah yeah you know 
uh, that doesn't equate to uh, fame in the music industry, though. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's so many factors involved in in being a, a, a rock star, or having a, a famous rock band, so much more than just uh, the the playing part of it. Yeah, but they're out there, man. I'm I'm wondering what these young kids are going to do with their lives. You know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It'll be interesting to see if many of them do become rock stars or where they go with it. I'm going to say that they're not going to because it's a it's a way rougher life, and you almost have to be kind of dumb to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're probably not going to be that talented of a guy if you do it because you're basically signing up to play the same you know 15 songs for the next 20 years every to every time because you know it's not like once a band's established they can just go out and play all their new stuff or no one's going to see them play anymore they're going to play their hits and as soon as you know a band hits their their peak of their writing hits they're not going to write any more hits and people only want to hear those ones so at some point they're only going to be playing those same songs like i kind of found that you know doing the stuff with steven where i got comfortable just playing those same 10 you know rap songs and even though they you have to be pretty good to play them i was kind of stunting myself a little bit too like I, I it was important to uh learn other stuff just to just to always be learning you know and i and, it, and i have been i mean i've been playing guitar i, I hate to admit this 30 years <laughs> uh, i can't believe it you know people have been born and are now considered almost middle-aged i've been playing you know longer longer than a bit of life but uh, i'm always aspiring to get better i feel like i have like definitely gotten a little better in the last couple of years and um mm time to practice and you know focus on just improving so I, I i i look at it like you know i came out here like this and you know people maybe weren't that impressed but if i started here and was like amazing it would be hard to keep that up but now i'm just fun i'm just like <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> if um if you had to be locked in a room for 24 hours, let's say you had to quarantine with a rock star from history who's living or dead, who would it be? Who comes to your mind? Uh, for 24 hours, uh, Trent Reznor and some drugs. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> let's see what we come up with in a studio, of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That'd be an interesting 24 hours. Yeah. Before I ask you the final question, one popped into my mind. If you weren't doing what you're doing now with your life, what do you think you'd be doing? So if you weren't a musician, what would you have what would you have been doing? Uh, I, well, I think that uh, I would certainly be working for myself because that, that's one thing I always just hated was having a job, you know, having to conform to a to a, a business's regimens you know <laughs> whatever it's like I, I just i need to be my own boss if you will sorry to use a played out thing but i would like to think that you know if i didn't have any musical skill that i still would have tried to go into business and and have created something like not not just followed somebody else's path but actually like whatever i invented whatever product it was that i was trying to give to the world in some capacity you know what i mean yeah. it would have to be i don't want to just make other somebody else's widget i want my widget out there so. yeah yeah it's a good way to be you want to create carve your own path and you know you don't want to be on anyone else's clock no but also it's important i think if you can contribute even if it's you're just contributing love and care in the world you know that's that's very important too just like a mother 
uh, would or, or anything. But uh, but if you could, as a man, I, I don't know, I just like think it's nice to to leave behind something that people know you for, whatever it is mm. that you're the guy who betted Twinkies or you know <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no matter how small you left your mark. Right. Yeah. The Chia Pet guy, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, finally, if there was a song that could appear on the soundtrack to your life, what would it be? Probably uh, Bob Seger, Against the Wind. Right. Interesting choice. <laughs> Hell yeah. We're going to hear your song, 10 Miles Wide, play us out tonight. You know, here's here's a little interesting thing. Like, I, I suspect that Stephen and I have some sort of ESP that we can't like tell you exactly when those things are going to come to fruition. Mm. But there's just been things that we've touched on or he's touched on too, that kind of come into play later. But, um, you know, we, that song was on the, the album smash, which was the first one of the frontiers records we did a couple of years back. And we decided to do a video, uh, for the, for the song 10 miles wide. And it took on this whole deal with masks, right? Which like it even, Beginning, like there's this little say it goes uh you know uh give a man a mask and he will tell you the truth or something and and uh then it was a real illuminati like he wanted to do a real eyes wide shut oh type Sam Kubrick low budget you know video whatever but he, he knew what he the aesthetic that he was looking for he wanted that he wanted to have the vibe mm. um but the mask thing it was just so weird that you know masks would come into play and then uh and then we had another song on that record called shut down baby and that was also about the elite and the illuminati which like really obviously did play a, a part in this whole shutdown obviously this pandemic proved to be extremely monetarily beneficial for the for the elite oh yeah so it ties in in a way and i mean he talks about that you know um you know, taking you in a, a room way upstairs and, you know, secret meetings and, and this and, and shut down. It was kind of weird. And then the mask thing and, um, you know, to take it to another level, um, as we know, there's, there's many conspiracy videos on TV and, um, Gam I, we could pronounce this a few different ways, but, uh, gamatria, which is a, a practice of, uh, numerology. Okay. And, um, there's uh and God, I'm spacing out his name uh right now, but there's there's this kid who's like pretty much one of the Gamatria kings on YouTube. And and this guy will break down the numbers for every mass shooting event, every hot button thing in the news, like he'll he'll let you know if it's fake or not or whatever. And he and he you know, as we know, there's I, I don't know how familiar you are with this sort of thing. I'd I'd have an interest in it. But like you know, in in Freemasonry, like the the, the number thirty three mm. is their allegedly their highest level in their secret society. So you, you'll see, uh, you know, we there's a lot of Masonic influence in our culture. Yeah, everything it, it could be, you know, Alice in Wonderland, checkerboard floors to whatever you see it everywhere. And um, you know, most of our United States presidents have been Freemasons. All the uh, all the astronauts or Freemasons, you know, mm. it's, it's interesting. 
Um, but uh, yeah, so, so you'll see things like that was just a quick example. Like you'll see 33 come up a lot. And then sometimes uh, you can assign, well, not sometimes, but in, in uh, Gematria, they assign, you know, words and phrases to numbers. It's like a code, basically. Right. And in some cases, I think there is, uh, there is something to that. To, to the uh, I think they 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 there's hidden messages sometimes within things it could be news articles or whatever but sometimes it is just coincidence you could if you look hard enough you could put things together uh like that but but I think because the the topic of the video was that eyes wide shut type Illuminati thing uh this dude came out and accused you know Stephen and myself of, of, of being in the Illuminati and whatnot and then broke down the whole 10 miles wide video and and did all the numbers on it and i, I didn't know how to feel i thought it was super awesome that this guy was doing because I, I i was subscribed to this guy on youtube and uh but then at the same time i'm like ah oh. he was like kind of ruining his credibility in some senses because it wasn't true mm. yeah which i kind of thought he was kind of full of shit anyway i think i had unsubscribed to him a while back anyway there was something that he had done the numbers and I didn't agree with it. And I got you full shit. And, uh, and then this kind of just reaffirmed that he was full of crap. Yeah. But, uh, fans might run into that, but, uh, yeah, this was a song, you know, really the, the title 10 miles wide, which he had broken down the gematria on the name of the 10 miles wide itself and how it equaled something that we were evil beings. Uh, I came up with that. Like when I sent Steven an idea that I I'll write the music in my home studio here, you know, as far as the, the musical arrangement and I have to, I don't send no subject when I send him the song, I have to like make up a song title, like a working title for it. And that's kind of hard to do. I just really quick, just uh, keyboard tape, uh, light lamp. Uh, t- I don't know. I just came up with 10 miles wide popped into my head and i just put that as the title he liked that and kind of worked around it you know what mm-hmm. i mean and that's kind of how the song uh came to be so there was no mystical uh you know satanic stuff behind it or anything <laughs> like that it was just just a song off our record and we thought it came out pretty good we decided to do a video off it that's about it but we're gonna hear it today <laughs> <laughs> it's weird though how uh people can just go down giant rabbit holes and you know completely be wrong as you said if you're looking for something hard enough you will find it that's true you have to you have to take a step back sometimes and uh because it, it can drive you mad hmm. you know you it, it, you know I, I i think it's important to be on a quest for knowledge and, and be anything but misinformed but at the same time you can you can fill your data banks with just negativity too. So that's like something I'm guilty of where I'm like, maybe spend the first four hours of my day trying to find out the truth of what's going on. <laughs> and then it kind of puts me in a bad way the rest of the day. You yeah. know what I mean? So I'm happy how the music's happening again. So I could kind of focus on that. Like knowing, Oh, we have a record. We have to do that. I don't, I'm not trying to pass the time. It's like, we had nothing to do, but look into shit this whole past year. <laughs> <laughs> One final thing I have to say, any sign of a, any European dates or talks of coming over to Europe? I would love to do that. Um, we don't, to answer your question, not yet, not yet. Um, and, you know, part of that, I think, has to do with, in the 80s, Rat really didn't leave the country all that much. You know what I mean? They played Japan, mm. uh, but they 
they were so popular in the States that they were able to play like two weeks just in Texas. You know what I mean? So at that peak point, they were just, they, they were, when they were on MTV, they really didn't uh, travel to Europe. So the, the demand does for rat just doesn't seem as high as it does for like Iron Maiden or these other, yeah, uh, you know, more international uh, bands. But I hope we do. And I, do you think people would show up if we did? That's the question. Without a doubt, I would. We have to play the club by your house. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I'd love it, because I'd get closer to you for the performance. No, I think you'd uh, you'd get a good crowd. You'd have no problem pulling in the crowd, even if I have to single-handedly promote it on the podcast coming up to it well let's make it happen then i'll tell you if if uh if if ireland would like to have Stephen pearson come play they are going to need to contact big time entertainment and that's big with two g's b-i-g-g time entertainment i can't spell sorry i'd spell the rest of it for you uh but it's sullivan big is our agent he's also vince neal uh agent for motley and uh, he actually has a pretty good roster of 80s rock bands. But if if uh, Ireland is interested in having the Rat Bastards grace their pubs, uh, he would be uh, the gentleman to speak to about it. And hopefully we can get out that way. Perfect. Listeners, you know what to do. Well, yeah, for your show, I I, I really uh, wish you the best with your... I love the name of your show, Concerts That Made Us. That's very cool. Thanks. Thanks. And because uh, it, it kind of opens up, you know, not just to talk about, you know, ourselves, but just uh, to share member berries, if you will, of like the concerts we saw in our lives, just to talk, you know, to kind of talk as fans, not just as far as like interviews. So I think it's a really great premise that you have. And I, I hope um, more of the... Uh, guys in my league or or come onto your show man they should do it thanks a million thanks i uh i really appreciate it and it's been really fun it's been one of the most pleasurable episodes i've done thanks a million absolutely take care my brother
So guys, if you enjoyed that, please reach out and let us know. You can find us on all social medias if you just search for Concerts That Made Us Podcast. Or of course, you can go to our website and let us know there. It's www.concertsthatmadeus.com And I just want to say a special thank you to Bobby at the Rock Guys Podcast for that awesome intro. That's a podcast you should definitely check out. One of my personal favourites. And also I want to give a special shout out to the guys at the Outlaw Blitz podcast. Two great podcasts I highly recommend. Until next week, keep rocking. Hey, hey, what are you guys still doing here? The show is over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.